Hello, hello, and welcome to Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of cream liqueur slash amarilla for your mind. I'm half of your host, Nicholas Lorimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts, Mr. Gabriel Krauser. Bluff. Gabriel, you've had a rough couple of days, um, especially, I believe, you had some run-ins with home affairs. Oh, my word, dude. Yes, I drove three hours to home affairs because, like a fool, I went to the Bertaville home affairs. Okay, now here's the first question. Why? Well, I think I might have talked about this um, on an earlier episode. It was I sort of went like three months ago or something. And the thought was the home affairs queue there is much shorter. And I did ah, talk yes. about it. <laughs> and the queue was shorter, uh, much shorter um, when I went. Uh, I had this – there was – I talked about it because there was the only person wearing a mask properly over their mouth in home affairs when I first went. This was still during the plague, as it were, uh, was the guy outside taking our temperature. Okay, everyone inside <laughs> was so either not wearing be, um... a mask at all, or wearing it on their chin, or wearing it on their head, or like wearing it in their pocket. What does it the kids say? Uh, doesn't it sounds like everyone didn't get the memo? Did the memo was not get got, excepting that all of the civilians had to wear masks, right? So it's just the home affairs officials not wearing masks. I took off my mask to take a photo for the for the ID. And then I was like, I'm not putting it back on. And they're like, put it back on. I was like, ah, oh, but you're not wearing your mask. I'm not wearing my mask. We're all going to be okay. They said, put it back on, boy. <laughs> Those were the words, not the accent. But anyway, it was great. It was a wonderful this experience. Is, yeah, this is, uh, this is but, it, but it's usual. You know, this is, I think, appropriate because in home affairs, you know, those people who come to the counter are naught but cattle who are below the yeah. great gods that they have come to seek for their divine favor. Please, please, oh lords, give us our documents. Please. And we if, scrape if you, on our knees. Please. Yes. And if you please the gods of home affairs, they shall grant you your documents. Otherwise, they shall commit you to purgatory for another. You shall cycle. be smited. You shall, they shall smite you down and relegate you to the, the great purgatory of, like, uh, of bureaucratic gray zone. Okay, so here's what happened on Monday. So, a couple of weeks ago, two months after I'd been there, I get the SMS to say, dude, your, your ID is ready. So I was very excited. And I thought, okay, let's go get it. And then there was a bit of confusion about like when to go, this and that. I needed to sort of arrange some worky things around it. And uh, so anyway, so I did. Went down. And, um, and then I got there Monday morning. And there was like only two people in the queue. And I was very excited. And then... Uh, the security, like as I got to the front, those two people turned out to just be friends of the security guard uh, who were not queuing. And uh, so I was like, okay, he's, so I tried walking in. The security guard said, you can't go in. I said, why not? He said, system is down. The Yo. words sort of chilled on anyone's spine. <laughs> Dude, those three words are so well known in this country. Hey, there is, there is a, I mean, system of a down is like big in America or whatever, but system is down. Now that is a hit. That is a, a that is movie. a it's a horror movie hit in every province in that that crosses cr crosses creed, color, and class lines. Uh, everybody knows the feeling of system is down. Anyway, so I said, but 
but how down can it really be? <laughs> My ID is already there, right? It's not like they need to print it out. Um, that's already happened. It's just in an envelope. But Gabriel, I, but Gabriel, it system is down. So that's what he said. It's amazing. It's like you were there. <laughs> and what I said was, I just repeated what I said. But how down can it really be? And then he said, okay, you go inside. I actually, what I actually did is I said, can I get a letter? Can I get an official letter to show the bank to say system is down? Um, because I've got an issue that I need my ID for. And they think I, they're going to think I'm making it up. They will never believe that the system is down unless I get an official letter. And he says, oh, official letter. I've, I don't know that one. Go inside and talk to the manager. So I went inside and um, and I found this really friendly dude who I explained my situation. I mean, it started out with the system is down, but then I explained my situation. I explained like I'm looking to, um, uh, you know, see my credit worthiness, see if I would, uh, what kind of loan I might be able to get if I wanted to buy a place. And um, uh, for that, I need a, a photo of my ID. So I was like, can't I at least take a photo of my ID? And he said, sure, you can. You can't take your ID because to do that, you need to put your fingerprint into the electronic system for it to update. And I was like, can't, I, can't you just give me the ID and I'll go and do that at a home affairs in Joburg? And he said, no, it won't register. And if you do that, I'm telling you, your ID is, is you're going to be classified as a criminal and you will never be able to solve the problem in the system. It's going to confuse the system. Just <laughs> I mean, I mean. <laughs> He's he's probably right. <laughs> it had the ring of truth. <laughs> so instead, he was like, dude, it was, he said you can look at your ID. You can't touch it. But you can look at it, and you can even take a photograph of it. So it felt like I was at a strip club for my own ID with a look, don't, don't touch policy. <laughs> <laughs> it was so frustrating in a way. I was like, I really want to touch it. Can't I just keep it? said, no, no, no. But he was very sweet. He then also went and took a photocopy of my ID and put a, a date stamp. Oh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, and you it see, turned you out to be... that in Joburg. No, it was, he was so friendly. I mean, there were two guys. The other guy was so glum. Uh, but, the, but the one guy was very friendly. He was clearly, he struck me as a dude who needed a bit of company. And the only company he's had for the last two weeks is the... <laughs> Is his the other guy <laughs> who's like not into talking, and they're like, they're like <laughs> lights aren't on, dude. So I asked him what the issue. Why is the system down? Two weeks ago, after because of load shedding, when the power came back up, it surged, and the service caught on fire, and the whole room burnt down. Oh my goodness! So yeah. I was like, that's a tragedy. But then I was like, dude, that was two weeks ago, and they said, no, 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 we haven't been doing nothing. We ordered a new server, and it came. <laughs> but it was the wrong server. <laughs> <laughs> and now we ordered another server. It's coming. But we haven't gotten it yet. Well, look. Some progress is better than no progress. Right. So I was very glad with the... With the um, the time stamped uh, photocopy of my ID, because driving away, the police actually pulled me over, 
And they're like, where's your driver's license? I was like, I don't have my driver's license. They're like, why is that? Because I need my ID to apply for my driver's license. I said, so where's your ID? I said, well, it's at Home Affairs. So they said, well, why didn't you pick it up? I said, I just did. I tried, but system is down. And the cops were like, what? System is down. I said, yeah, system is done. And they said, ish, system is done. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows. But, can you, but, but how do you telling the truth? <laughs> so then I showed them the, I showed them the thing and they said, yo, system is done. They're calling friends. They're like, system is down, guys. But this guy got a photocopy. So he's fine. So they let me off with the, not even a warning. They were just like, they let me off with the old system is down. Uh, you know, keep up the good fight. Yeah, no, everyone knows the struggle. It's it's one of those things. I mean, I wrote an article a while ago about how, um, you know, crime is such a sort of ubiquitous thing that everyone in South Africa experiences at some point that in a strange sort of way, it's almost unifying. Our trauma kind of unifies us. And I think bureaucracy is exactly the same thing. Those are the two things that all South Africans do together. We all get robbed and we all stand in queues at home affairs. <laughs> That is, uh, yeah, it's not so much death and taxes as like theft and queuing that are the yes. great levelers, <laughs> the great so, inevitable uh, burdens. Yeah. Speaking of the great levelers, um, you've uh, been getting involved in an attempt to uh, level the justice system and... Uh, it's involving our former president. Um, you wanted to talk about it today. Could you tell us about what your scheme is? Because when I first heard your scheme here, it sounded, you know, I'm not a huge fan of um, this legal stuff. It's all a bit oh, hocus pocus to pants. me. Yeah, it's all, it, it, it all sounds like it, it reminds me of those ancient um, soothsayers used to read the entrails of chickens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, so. In can Latin, you, can you I'm sure. Yeah. Exactly, I don't know. Exactly. I, don't, I don't speak enough Latin to be able to read chicken entrails. To be fair. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I like your attempt at a segue, leveling the justice system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I thought it was pretty good considering I came up with it two seconds ago. <laughs> I think it's smooth. Smooth as a duck lard. Very. Well, it was. It was smooth until we decided to explain it to them. <laughs> okay. No. I edit unexplained. Uh have a have a have a have a have a shot of Amarula, why not? Okay, so I think that it is kind of complicated in a way, but it's but it's not that complicated. And it, and I do think it's quite important. I think the principle we're going after is quite important. So refresh on the fact. I mean, let me just say the the simple the simple TLDR is we're trying to put the former president back in jail. So it's a weird thing. Like the day okay. when we went hold to on, the on. police station, Zuma Zuma has had, shall we say, many legal complications. What precisely is the issue here? I mean, one okay, could so pick up a thousand that, reasons. It's not just that we want to put him back in jail. It's that we have the most likely to win argument to put him back in jail, which sort of puts us in a delicate place. Um, he was let out on medical parole last year. The reason he was in jail was because he had violated the constitutional court's order to go and testify 
before the Zondo Commission. Now, when right. he was so, uh, then, so, so the only crime he's been found guilty of is contempt of court. Correct. And the strange thing is that that is not a crime in the usual sense of the term. This is what it all comes down to. But let me just refresh. So he goes, he, he gets found guilty of contempt of court, which is not exactly the, the sort of high crime and misdemeanor sort of, it's, I would say it's not, it's not obviously the worst thing that he's ever done, uh, refusing to go and testify before Zondo. But it is the most obvious. It's so indisputable. There's no clash on the facts. No one is saying, yeah. well, actually, he did go testify before court. With all of the other things, he stole the money. People say, no, he didn't steal the money. This, this, that. this is indisputable. He gets sent in there. Then he gets let out on medical parole. And shortly before he's let out on medical parole, the medical parole board of the Department of Correctional Services says his medical condition is stable and he doesn't qualify, does not qualify for medical parole. But then Arthur Fraser, the National Commissioner of the Correctional Services Department, basically the DG, he says, no, he does qualify for medical parole. Arthur Fraser, the great sculptor of presidents. Yeah, I, dude, Arthur Fraser, like the most, probably the most important background player in this country. So he is, you know, he brought the Palapala allegations against uh, Ramaphosa. He let Zuma out of jail free. He um, sculpted Bulalani and Luka and uh, Tabo and Becky. He is just the most, he's the most fascinating character. Anyway, that is why I understand at the high court, they said Fraser's ruling was unlawful. And the clash has been, who gets to decide? The, the head of the jail system or the, or the head doctor of the jail system? And, you know, so far the thing is like, well, the head doctor kind of gets to decide on medical parole. The, the head of the jail system, he doesn't really get to decide. Uh, at least he doesn't get to override the head doctor because the head doctor is going to know what's what. I'm not sure that that really is how the law is written. It often is the case that, that top executives have the authority to overrule people that clearly know better than them um, <laughs> from a sort of common sense perspective. Right. That, because that often, you need one often, general to run the show. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. That often is a, a, you know, you have specialists and then you have the leader and the leader's position is to make the decisions um, and judge up the evidence. Yeah. So, so our argument is that this ding dong thing between Fraser and the medical parole board, this is actually assuming that either of them have jurisdiction in the first place, which they don't. And the reason they don't have jurisdiction is because Zuma is not an ordinary criminal. And it's not because Zuma is special. It's because the crime that he committed is special. So contempt of court is clearly weird because one of the first things, we uphold the rule of law at the IRR. This is a classical liberal principle, right? What is one of the first rules of law? That you cannot be a judge in your own trial. That no one is above the law. Right. But in the case of contempt of court, the court is the victim and the judge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in the case of contempt of court, if you were going to do it the usual way, the judge would have to say, you know, this guy insulted me. He called me. Uh, You've disrespected uh, me. <laughs> he called me like a. Um, and therefore, a, I'm punishing you by shooting you into the sun. A flying. He called me a, 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 a an elephant. 
and a swine. I'm trying to think of like non-offensive, offensive things to say. And right. I, I'm actually just remembering what our council, who's a very distinguished senior silk in South Africa said, and it, it, it rhymes with hunt. <laughs> like, ah, yes. He called me a hunt, a hunter. <laughs> that was his shocking example. So the judge says, I'm not a hunter. You can't call me a hunter. Uh, but the, you know, the judge would have to sit in the, in the judge's seat and in the witness box and testify and say, look, this guy called me a hunter and, and it hurt my feelings and it's very rude and it's not true. It's, and even if it was true, you, he can't say it. Have you watched Blackadder goes forth? Yeah. Do you remember when Blackadder uh, has Baldrick shoot and eat a pigeon and it turns out to belong to the general? Right. And then they have a trial and uh, the general is the judge in determining whether Blackadder shot this great carrier pigeon. And he's also the first witness on the stand. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that is inevitable when you have a contempt of court case. Because the the victim and the and the, the victim is the court. So it's a so there's a nightmare. It's like, well, how can we have the rule of law and have contempt of court cases? Um then uh, another problem, of course, in Zuma's case is that he couldn't have the right to appeal, which is a section 35 right. When you're in an ordinary criminal trial, you must have the right to appeal the first finding. But the first finding happened at the Constitutional Court. The Constitutional Court gave an order. He refused the order. And then the Constitutional Court found him in contempt of court. Where can he appeal that? According to the Constitution, once the Constitutional Court has found something, you can't appeal it. He tried, but you can't. So there's to the so laws of God and justice. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and uh, on, on the truth. So likewise, on the on the. Anyway, another way of thinking about the problem is is the detention without trial right. It's like he didn't have a proper trial in the usual sense. He wasn't there. Uh, he didn't get a chance to cross-examine witnesses. He didn't get to ask. The, he didn't get to put Mochoeng uh, Mochoeng in the witness box and ask him tough questions and say, "Why did you give me this order? And do you not like me? And did you uh, say, you know, his 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 lawyers tried to do that kind of thing, but they couldn't do it." So but it just turns out that there would be this awful situation. If you said, we can't put you in jail for contempt of court because this would amount to detention without trial, then anytime someone is accused of something, they could just refuse to go to court and then they would not be tr tried and then therefore they could not be incarcerated and found guilty. I think that's, So that's uh, a catch-22. That's what I see. Yeah, non-legal people call a a loophole. Yeah, you you can't find me guilty because I'm not coming to court. It just <laughs> uh, blows up the whole system. So it turns out that the way the law works here and the way the law works everywhere is that there is one special crime which starts out as a civil crime, which is to say it's like being sued. Uh, like private parties adjudicating, you know, clashing with one another, um, where those rules apply, which are different to the ordinary criminal rules, but where the punishment, instead of just being a fine or a or a verbal slap on the wrist, the punishment is you literally get forced into jail. And that is the crime of contempt of court, insulting the court or refusing a court order. And you just right. need that in between and, stop and, gaps. And this makes to, sense because ultimately, you know, contempt of court is – the, the the punishment or the or the, the violation that's there when someone is just doing everything they can to gum up the works, who's just being difficult, who's pushing the whole system to the breaking point. 
dude. And, and it is weird. I mean, why every single time? Exactly. We defend. We are defenders of free speech, right? Someone goes into a courtroom while the trial is happening and just starts uh, reciting, just starts reading the Bill of Rights or singing the national anthem. You can throw that guy in jail. And that feels weird. It's like, oh, no, but how can we endorse that? Don't we believe in free speech? Dude, you have to be able to throw that guy in jail because one of the essential features of a criminal justice system is that you can hear each other and that you can write down what is said in court. And you cannot hear each other or write down what is said if some idiot is shouting in the background. So it just turns out right. to be very important that you can shut people up so that we can hear each other. Or anytime someone uh, interacts with law enforcement, all they do is uh, roll around on the floor screaming, you have no authority to judge me. <laughs> yeah, it's not. that's not getting us anywhere. So there is a practical side. There's a very real practical challenge. And the way that it works is that the court is kind of the master of the domain of the court space. Once you're inside the court space, theoretically on the separation of powers doctrine, lawmakers should make the laws. Judges should judge the law. And executives should execute the law. So theoretically, even if you accept that there should be a rule which says no disruption of the court is permissible, um, or it's permissible to stop disruption through coercion, um, it shouldn't be the judge making the order. There should be a policeman there from the executive executing the, uh, the law of keeping the gallery quiet. But it just doesn't work that way. We let the judge kind of be like a policeman. We let the wardens of the court kind of act like police uh, to have these powers to to boot people out. And I, and, and I really am being quite serious about how, in a way, this should make you feel uncomfortable. Because like that Becky Kele thing where he shouts at the guy in the audience and then says, shut up, shut up, and then the police drag him out. That is so wrong right it's really really bad behavior it's really shutting it's literally shutting down free speech with force and yet it is the correct procedure in a court of law and you know in your gut that it's the right way to go in a court of law because if you were the accused if you were sitting there and that judge has the ability to slam down his hammer and put you behind bars for years and years you know that you deserve to be heard you know that you deserve a quiet room in which everyone gets their turn to speak. You just do deserve right. that. In the free speech context, we've seen um, a version of this when it's not quite the same thing because, you know, I, I agree that the court is, is like a, a sort of special space. Um, but, you know, they invite a, a, a kind of unorthodox person or a right-wing person onto campus to um, speak, and then people show up and they just sit in the audience, they just scream. Now, you know, that may not be like illegal um, necessarily, but there's a sort of, there's, there's, there's a level at which the kind of idea of what the right is there to protect is, is being abused because you're saying, you know, this is a space where we, we, we have this right so that we can discuss issues, so that we can hear views, so that nothing is censored so that no one is, is in control of what's, uh, you know, being said. And yet people are using that very right to pre literally prevent another person from talking. So, I mean, so I think that's a good example because you, most people will accept that the, the, the campus security are entitled in such a situation, and they often do, to physically right. remove the disruptors. Right. Um, exactly. So they're exercising something like a police power 
But the way that is usually cashed out, and the re reason it makes sense is they're exercising a kind of property rights. They're e exercising property rights. So the right in property on the campus is the right to uh, deny access to people that are going to get in the way of the purpose of the business that you've got. Uh, and the purpose of the business is, you know, academic seminars. So you, you, you can't get rid of anyone. You can't get rid of people for saying things that you find unpleasant, but you can get rid of people who are just shouting and um, making noise to, to disrupt things. Here's why that is difficult. Here's why you can't apply that to the court. The court is supposed to be the essence of public property. It's supposed to be the essential uh, anyone is allowed in here yeah. kind of space. It doesn't. We, we you you were saying something there, Nick, but you just broke up. Do you want to come again? Oh, I think oh. we had a bit of a connection wobble there. I think I'm back. Okay, you're you're back. You're back. Yeah. So I'm gonna. So I'll. So I'll, so basically, the point is, the point that we're trying to make is that. In South Africa, as in the rest of the world, it is very normal for the courts to have this power to, to keep the gallery quiet, to stop witnesses from insulting the court, and to force people to come and produce evidence. You can't be forced to produce self-incriminating evidence, but you can be compelled to come and produce uh, evidence in general. And... Uh, and and you can be forced to come and appear in your own trial. So what we're saying is that Zuma was found guilty in this way. He, the Constitutional Court stressed that he was never an accused person in terms of Section 35. So he doesn't have Section 35 rights like or Section 35.3 rights in the Constitution, which are the rights of accused persons, which is the right to have an appeal which is the right to um, put your accuser, uh, the, the right to cross-examine witnesses, uh, the right to an ordinary criminal trial. He didn't have any of those rights. And because he was never an accused person, uh, he, he also was never, therefore never a sentenced offender. And it is only sentenced offenders that qualify for medical parole. It is only sentenced offenders that fall under the Department of Correctional Services. What happens is you start out as an accused person uh, in the ordinary uh, progression of things, and once you are found guilty, then you're a census offender, and only then can you qualify for medical parole. Uh, and, uh, and so we're saying that Zuma remains, should remain in jail under the direction of the court. It's the court, it's for the court to decide what happens with him it's like he's a baby in their custody uh or it's a little bit like a dude who's who's in a drunk tank right you can the the, the cops can hold you for two days um you know you you they they catch you at like two o'clock in the morning and you're wasted and you're driving around they throw you in a drunk tank to sleep it off and then later that next afternoon they let you out uh, uh you've come to your senses and and you can drive home it's not ideal, but this is what is allowed. Um, and the idea is he should be put in jail, come to his senses, and then he can get out. So this is, why has this common sense argument not been made? 
why have we resorted to this ding dong thing between Fraser and the medical parole board if in fact he's he doesn't fall under that part of the law in any event? Well, for a simple reason, because Zoomicide has constantly said, because Zoom is in this unusual position, that is evidence that apartheid has been brought back. That is evidence that white monopoly capital is in charge of this thing and is pulling the strings and that this vendetta is being meted out against Zuma. They say he has been subject to detention without trial. He's been denied his Section 35 rights. He has been put in jail by a constitutional court order that is completely at odds with the usual way of going about criminal procedures. He's not under the Department of Correctional Services jurisdiction. He is under the court's discretion and the court has got a vendetta against him and this is very evil and terrible. And because race is like a is like a magnet and you put it next to a computer screen and the whole screen goes this argument, because it mentions the word apartheid, people it's kind of switch off their thing. brains. <laughs> <laughs> that is what happens to people's brains. Instead of standing up and refuting it and saying, okay, completely it's true that the apartheid regime uh, in fact, what the apartheid regime did with detention without trial, by the way, was exactly the opposite. We're saying the courts should be more involved. In fact, it, he should remain totally under the court's direction. What the Nats did was keep the courts away. They, The Terrorism Act, uh, secondarily and primarily just illegally without even passing a law, what they would do is they would put someone in jail they would be under the wardens, under the king of jails, uh, the Arthur Fraser of the day, and they would keep the courts away. They would say, you can't go to court. You can't appear in court. Uh, you can't have a lawyer. You can't have a phone You can't court. plead your case. You can't plead your case. No court for you, buddy. That was the essence of the crime against humanity in the case of detention without trial. And no one uh, at an analytical level knows it better than the IRR because the IRR, was the organization which tabulated and collated the 12 million man hours of detention without trial that had been meted out by early in the 1950s already kind of a thing and blew the whistle on it. And it, it took a lot of, there were anecdotes, there were incidents of detention without trial that, are, that were being communicated, but the IRR had the resources to really show the pattern and practice and were the first to do so and put the wings in the behind the sails of the guys at the Rand Daily Mail who were then publicizing it and behind, at the, the Manchester Guardian, the New York Times, make it a, a, a very important international story, which meant, unfortunately, that the Nats kind of codified it in the law, uh, sort of doubled down on it, but it you know, eventually built the pressure towards uh, genuine reform took very long. Anyway, I'm just saying it's not like it's not like we're insensitive to the the evil of um, detention without trial. Uh, but it, it's precisely because we see that evil for what it is. We see it with clear eyes that we don't just get fooled when someone uh, compares that to what's happening to Zuma and says, well, because he is the, he is a good, he was a freedom fighter and he was subject to apartheid's wickedness and he is a black dude. Therefore there's enough similarity that it's the same thing happening over again. The only people who get fooled by that are not, are not willing to look uh, the devil in his face. I would say uh, <laughs> maybe that sounds too much, but to look at the real a uh, clear, simple um, expression of what was going on then, 
what was wrong with it and what is going on now and what's wrong with it and what's right about it actually in this case. So in a way, we're trying to vindicate the authority of the courts. We're trying to say there is this special category of contempt of court where you've got to, it's just got to be different. Otherwise, there's catch-22s where guys are always going to get off scot-free. And it's normal internationally. It's defensible on basic principles of just administration, the administration of justice. And, and, we, and we can't sidestep this issue. We have to say, in South Africa, it doesn't matter if you're the ex-president. It doesn't matter how important you are. If the court orders you to come and give evidence, that's not a question. It's an instruction, and you must obey. And if you don't obey, there will be consequences. Okay, so in a way, that's the simple part. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Here's where things get complicated. Usually, the court precedent that we are going to draw attention to, 1998 case, DeLonger versus Smuts N.O. and others. And in this case, there was a law which said, if you in, I can't remember what it is. It's like some financial thing, you know, dealing with like people who've died and their estates and uh, insurance policies and all kinds of stuff. If you have uh, evidence, if you're like the accountant or something and you, uh, obviously for some things, you're not allowed to say what the client has said, but for a lot of things, it's like, okay, now the client's dead. You have to show the information. If you've been called by a magistrate or by some legal process to come and give evidence, this accounting evidence, show the book, show the receipts, show the tax filings and so on, if you're getting a lifestyle order or something. If you don't show up to give the evidence or you show up but you say, eh, I don't feel like showing you my receipts from the restaurants I've been uh, spending money at, the strip clubs or whatever. The law said the magistrate can then put you in jail for a couple of days. The magistrate can say, basically, put you in the drunk tank, say, sober up, buddy. You're not thinking nicely. I'm not – I – you seem to think I was asking you for this evidence. I'm not asking you. I am telling you, you have to produce this evidence. So go figure it out. Come back in two days. We'll try again. And then if the person comes back in two days and still is being recalcitrant, you can put them in jail for a week. And so on and so forth. You can keep compelling. Now, that's not to say this guy can't appeal because a magistrate's pretty low level. He can then appeal and say, this magistrate, you know, there's a special reason why I literally can't, you know, the dog actually did eat my breakfast. Here's a video of the security camera footage. There's the break, there's the there's the there's the file, the arch lever file, there's the dog eating the arch lever <laughs> file. Yeah, the evidence is no longer exists, or at least not in a readable format. Yeah. So it's like force majeure. You can do that. It's not to say the magistrate has an unfettered power. But prima facie, he's given an order. You've disobeyed the order. He can put you behind bars. This was challenged in 1998. And can you imagine, Nick, what the arguments in 1998 was? Oh, my word. This is apartheid. You are letting magistrates put people in jail without them going through a criminal procedure. The magistrate is the complainant, the victim, and the adjudicator. This is apartheid all over again. We, we thought we ended it in 1994. It's 1998, and already we can see it's still here. It's still with us. That was the one side's argument. And the Constitutional Court said, we are very sensitive. We, we were there 
You know, these are like old people. They were they said we were there and it was very terrible. And that is not this. This is not the same thing. This is common sense. If we don't let the magistrates compel people to produce evidence, then the whole system is going to be gummed up. Uh, we've got to do it. You've got to allow it, and it makes perfectly rational sense. On what basis? On the following basis. There's a coercive power primarily that's being exercised. So in, in legal philosophy, uh, there's this distinction, which I think is a pretty common sense distinction, between punishing someone and forcing someone. When you're forcing someone, it's like taking your buddy and twisting his arm behind his back and pulling it up and throwing him on the ground and pulling and pulling and saying, Say you're sorry, say you're sorry, say you're sorry. And brothers and, you know, a lot of brothers and cousins do this to each other. I remember doing this to my cousins and them doing it to me. You ate the last cookie, you, you know, you did something naughty and then the guy coerces you. He's forced, he's saying, I'll let you go, but first you have to say sorry. So that's a coercive power. A punitive power is where you're saying, dude, I don't care whether you say you're sorry or not. I'm going to, I'm going to whip you on the backside 10 times now because you were, you were badly behaved. And the Concord's judgment in 1998 was that, okay, maybe in ordinary criminal trials, if you're found guilty of rape or murder or uh, armed robbery, hijacking, you go to jail and it's primarily punitive. You are being punished. A message is being sent to society. A message is being sent to you. That was not okay and you can't do that. But in this instance, for the magistrate's order, it's not punitive. It's prime. Well, it might be somewhat punitive, like you've already showed disrespect, so you need a bit of a slap, but it's primarily coercive. It's primarily trying to tug your arm behind your back or like squeeze your pinky or something, pull your beard hair until you come to your senses. So that is part of the way that they justify this extraordinary thing and say it's not like the other stuff. Uh and therefore, the rules are different. So it's easier to be put in jail, but it's easier to get out because you carry, and I'm quoting from the Concord here, you carry the keys to your own jail cell in your pocket. As soon as you say, here's the evidence, I'm prepared to give the evidence. As soon as you say, I'm sorry I insult, I'm sorry I was recalcitrant, I'm sorry I was scurrilous, I'm going to make it all right, I'm going to fix the problem, I, I want to redeem myself. You can redeem yourself. You can unlock the key to your jail cell as long as you go back through the court, then you can have your freedom. That's not how it usually works in the prison system. That's why we need a Correctional Services Act, because once you're being punished, if you want to redeem yourself, you need to go to a parole board that's going to evaluate your true change of heart, or you need to go to a medical parole board to see a change in your medical condition. There needs to be a whole system to deal with the guys who the courts have like washed their hands. They've said, you're guilty. You're bad. You need to be punished, and we don't want to deal with you again. So that's why it shifts to the executive. But for these guys, they're still in the court's custody, and the, and they can and, and the court's basically saying, dude, I'm putting you in jail, and I'm also putting the keys to your jail cell in the jail next to you, and you can come out, but you must come talk to me again nicely and uh, and and tell me what I want to hear or tell me the evidence that you know right. that I don't. You have to engage with the system. You have to play by the rules. Yeah. Okay. Here's the problem with that, right? So I think this makes sense of it. It makes sense that there's the three categories. You're free or you're an ordinary prisoner. You're a sentence offender. Those are the usual categories. And then there's this in-between category. But in the in-between right. category, it's coercive, not punitive. And, and, and it makes sense, right? Like, what's the point of having a state if it can't force you to do anything ever? 
under any circumstances for any reason. Yeah, it's, it forces you to pay taxes. It forces you to drive on the left side of the road and not the right side of the road and so on. Okay, so here's the problem. The Constitutional Court went out of its way to say, we are not trying to coerce Jacob Zuma into testifying. This guy is has shown us he will never testify. We have no reasonable person can expect this guy to change his mind. So we are not coercing him. We are not putting his arm behind his back and, and squeezing his face into the mud and saying, buddy, say you're sorry and tell us where you hid the cookies in the cookie jar. We're not doing that or where your friends, whatever. We are just punishing him for insulting the court, for undermining the court's authority, for inspiring lawlessness in this country. So it's like, well, does that make it so different from the usual third category cases that he's back in the second category, that he's just I mean, being punished, that he's just see, an ordinary is... prisoner and he should be under Frazier and Frazier was the right guy to let him out? This is this is where I begin to see that entrail reading stuff. It's like, no, no, <laughs> if the birds go towards you, is that the same as the birds going north if it's specifically towards you but you're north of them? <laughs> Dude, and you're right, because my answer to that, the way I understand it, is that, uh, firstly, you're supposed to read the law from the order, and the reasoning is secondary. And the order says he's guilty of contempt of court, and that means he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a special custodian of the court. So then our argument wins. And then insofar as you deal with the reasoning, they say it's purely punitive, if and only if Zuma uh, does not, on a set of facts, if and only if Zuma does not um, have a change of heart. In other words, Zuma can in can change the facts on which they said it's purely punitive. And it's true. Like if I say you go to jail, I'm unhappy. You refuse to testify. I'm sending you to jail. If you then never change your mind, you never testify, you sit in jail for 15 months and then you come out. I haven't coerced you. I haven't forced you. I've just punished you for breaking the system. But if after two days, you're like, Yo, that jail was not nice. I didn't realize. Mm -mm -mm. I will tell you everything you want to hear. I'm very sorry. I see that I was being very silly. Let me tell you now, 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 now. All of the things you want to hear. Then, even if you called it punitive, it has clearly shown itself to be coercive. And in that instance, it's going to be for the court to decide whether that means his sentence has changed from 15 months to two months or 15 months to 13 months. As the case may be, it's for the court to decide. It's not for a parole board to say, has he shown contrition? It's for the court to decide. So likewise, it must be for the court to decide on the medical stuff. So... And by the way, we add, you know, like, obviously the Zona Commission is now over, but the president can reignite it in a moment uh, for, for Zuma to go and redeem himself by giving testimony or to try to redeem himself. So there's not really a practical obstacle to him trying to uh, uh, re redeem himself. And Let himself oh, out, right. Yeah. And, and I'll just finish. In case this sounds too mad, I think this analogy is, there are two analogies that are quite simple. The one uh, was given to me by counsel, which is to say, imagine you've got two parents, Nicholas's uh, mom and his dad. 
Nicholas wants to go out for the weekend and he goes, asks his mom, can I go out for the weekend? And his mom says, no, because we're going to go see your gran. And, and I told her you're coming and she's expecting you. So you can't go away with your buddies uh, for a job. And then Nick's like, you're ruining my life, mom. (laughs) So, but then Nicholas knows that his dad doesn't pay as much attention to the schedule. So he goes and says, James, uh, can I go out with my friends for a job this weekend? It's going to be so lacquer and they're so nice. And his dad says, yes. That is, the mom then hears about it. The mom says, no, 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 buddy. I I make the rules here. (laughs) Okay. I'm the one who's paying attention. You are going to stay in on the weekend. And your dad, it's, it's, it's not really for him to say. It's very sweet that he tried to involve himself in this process, but it's not his business. That is this kind of situation. The court is the mother. Zuma is sitting with the court. And the court is the mother who knows what is he supposed to do, what is he not supposed to do, what are the rules of the system, right. what was his actual offense. Essentially, essentially, the mother is quoting, in this case, uh, uh, Theoden from the Lord of the Rings, the second Lord of the Rings movie, saying, you have no power here. <laughs> yes. Yes. Another way to think about it, which I think is even clearer, is that there is another special category. So you might say, okay, procedurally, Zuma is not under the correctional services jurisdiction of parole because he was never an offended, an accused person. He never had an ordinary criminal trial. Therefore, he's not an ordinary sentence. He's not a sentence defender. But you might say substantially. Never mind the stuff that's written down on paper. Who cares what's written down on paper? Just look at the facts. This guy's behind bars. He's in orange overalls. The dude next to him can go to the medical parole board. The dude in front of him can go to the medical parole board. But you're saying he can't go to the medical parole board. Here's our rule. Our rule, we're like Nicholas. We don't like this fancy pants nonsense in Latin. Our rule is very simple. If you're in the same circumstance, you should have the same rules apply to you. That's equal treatment before the law. And you guys are coming with fancy pants nonsense to victimize our guy because you're trying to bring back apartheid. Bugger off. Okay, that's that's an argument. How do you address that argument? Well, I say there is also a very another special category called a remanded prisoner. A remanded prisoner... That is the term for someone who has not yet been found guilty, but is stuck in jail. Someone who's accused of murder, for example, and then makes a bail application. But the judge says, dude, you're a flight risk. I can see very credible evidence that you are guilty. And I can see very credible evidence. You have no social ties here. You've got no business here. You, there's every reason to expect you are going to jump on an airplane and fly to Lesotho tomorrow. And from there, you're not even on Google Maps. So we don't know what your next step is. Uh, <laughs> yeah, your personal friends with the president of Tajikistan. And he's offered <laughs> you his private jet. <laughs> yeah. We're not, we can't let you go. So you are being detained uh, ahead of the conclusion of your trial. <laughs> uh, but it is allowed. Now, in that right. situation, imagine in that situation. If the the court says, no, we think you're a flight risk, you must stay inside. And then the minister says, look, I know this guy. He's my buddy. And he's not going anywhere. I vouch for him. He's a cool dude. (laughs) I'm going to let him out. And, And the court says, no, you can't let him out because he's 
it's still under our direction. And then the minister says, no, look, same situation, same rules. He's in orange overalls just like the other oaks. He's in the prison just like the other oaks. He's eating the same prison food as those other oaks. Therefore, I'm the one who gets to decide. That would be crazy. There is no way the minister can overrule a court's rejection of bail. It is true that for small crimes, there is a list of crimes where, where the police can decide whether you get bail or not. You don't even have to go to court. Like, for example, drunk driving. But I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, and in fact, that reinforces my point, that the law has been sensitive to this two-parent problem. And it is trying to say, for each instance, only one parent decides. For the tiny things, dad can decide. But for the really big deals, mother knows best. And if she says you have to sit in jail because it's the only way we can reasonably expect you to show up to your own trial, then the minister cannot intervene and say, well, I think he's okay, so I'm going to let him out. So remanded prisoners show that the procedural difference is a substantial difference because it makes a difference to who has the authority to decide whether you stay in or stay out. And likewise, for those people who are convicted of contempt of court, they stand in the special category. So these are the arguments that we're going to be taking to the Supreme Court of Appeal. We've got like three counsels. It's amazing. We've got two senior counsels and one junior counsel who've been working on this thing, Ooh. trying to find money for them, but they've been prepared to. They, it's amazing. It's very, very generous um, uh, ex uh, from the legal experts who've been sort of uh, trying to explain this all to me. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, I, th I think part of the thing that's exciting about it is that I think it could be the argument that puts Zuma in the most likely position where he has to give some evidence to help us get rid of people that are still corrupt. Um, and where we can defend the idea that, that really and truly you mustn't be distracted by some superficial comparison to apartheid, uh, which is what his, uh, what his legal team has been trying to get away with. So does he, if, if he is forced to go back on, you know, if he goes into jail, does he, uh, <clears throat> have the option to go up onto the evidence stand and say, I'm not going to give any evidence that may incriminate myself. Correct. But taking what the Americans call the fifth, and we have the same rule. You can't be coerced into uh, incriminating yourself. Um, the, the, I suppose he can try perpetually to take the fifth, but if someone asks him, for example, when you were the president of the country... What is your um, name? <laughs> yeah, what is your name? Did you appoint Manishi Gagaba? Did you... Uh, there, there are some questions that might incriminate others or might shed light on the matter more broadly that won't incriminate himself and that obviously won't incriminate himself. Um, so it'll, it'll sort of be between... Uh, it, and then, of course, you get into the... Anyway, you can get into the weeds there a little bit. If he refuses to testify, he refuses to testify. If he wants to plead medical parole, he must do so before a court. Um, I, I, I don't think that the odds are necessarily in our favor. I mean, I think we've got the winning argument. But let's say we win and he, and he gets put back in jail. I don't think that that means that there's a better than 50% chance that he's going to testify. Um but I do think that it improves the chance like by a factor of 10 
I mean, right now, there's like a one in a million chance that he's going to testify. So in fact, even if he only comes out with a 40% chance of testifying, that means we've improved the odds by like a factor of 400,000. <laughs> yeah, right now, you know, if there's a Damascus moment when God speaks to him directly and says, go and testify, uh, I think that's about the only chance that's going to cause him to testify right now. I'm not so sure, dude. I think that uh, what what Arthur Fraser proved with the Palapala allegations is that Ramaphosa is vulnerable, that the country uh, has been so badly run that even great ANC loyalists are very prepared to turn against the whole party. Uh, it's always been the case that critics have been prepared to say nasty things about half the party. Uh, but in the right. last couple of months, we have seen resounding damnation of the whole party. That exposes Ramaphosa... To is there a story that Zuber could tell that doesn't necessarily include him? I think Zuma can say the revolution was betrayed. And that <laughs> I was I was I was you can say I was naive. I made some bad choices, I made some bad friends, and they misled me. And I was so busy trying to fight against. Uh, those awful uh, external misapprehensions and global shocks and so on and so forth that I just didn't see this coming. I was too trusting ultimately of of my fellow cadres. But he has he has what they did, and it is and it is. Uh, I think it's always available to an ANC loyalist to say the true ANC still lives in spirit but this organization has been captured has been overridden by people who are really counter-revolutionaries right this is a this is a this is a classic move across history where you sort of where you say there is some principle and some ideal which we once embodied and which i still remain true to i'm the last true scotsman um and everyone else is a fake which gives you a chance of um of somehow exculpating okay. yourself, of yeah. cleansing yourself, of purging yourself, at the same time as doing a useful thing, but it only works if the thing that you, if the, if the, um, if the thing that you are the actual re real organization that you are damning has become very very unpopular, because otherwise, if you try this thing, they'll say, "Dude, you're trying to blame us. This was just you." And and they're going to win the arguments. But if they are totally awful, then it's then it is like um, everyone is happy to hear a new person say they're awful. So everyone who like says, "I used to be in the anti, I used to like it. Now I'm really against them." They get the most flowers and rounds of applause because it's like they're they're the best of both worlds. They were they were great loyalists at the right time, and now they're great opponents in the right way. Um, I think he could. I think that I, I think, again, I don't think it's the most likely, but if Ramaphosa's administration continues to falter, and Zuma gets a bit philosophical, he might think that the best way of preserving his legacy is by being first the first the spy, uh, then the armed warrior, then the captain of the uh, Robin Island chess team, and foremost student in the school of politics. Um, then the peacemaker in KZN, uh, then the president of the country and the traditionalist, uh, and finally, the persecuted victim 
of nasty plots, which uh, which had a grain of truth to them and caused him to finish his career as the great truth teller, as the guy who finally came to Hasn't he already made too many arguments that take him away from taking that path, though? I mean, if the whole system is here as a as a you know white colonialist plot to destroy the true avatar of blackness, um, what it's kind of difficult to then say. Well, I'm going to go and give evidence, all the dirt on all of my comrades who I say are being hounded out illegally here um, by this evil white system. I, I don't know. It just feels like he's taken a road where it's very difficult to row backwards. It's difficult. What I'm and you, I mean, you sound like the Concord now, right? There's just no ways he's gonna he's gonna come right, and therefore this is not coercive. This is punitive, and that makes it legally complicated. We think we can still deal with it. What I'm trying to say is, it's under his control. He is an agent, in the same way that if a poor dude comes and hijacks, right? You the only cost to, and, to, to when I say difficult to row back, I mean difficult to row back without losing a lot of face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But dude, it, it really is the you know like there are there are statistical arguments to be made about like. Poor people but who do avoiding embarrassment is, is, but is not a agency is, is real. <laughs> yeah, you can't ignore the law because to admit that you may have done something wrong uh, <laughs> it will It's his responsibility. You. It's under his control. He can he can he can eat that cost uh, if he so chooses. And dude, if he is stuck in jail for more than a year, it might change his mind. Maybe he will think to himself, "It's a little bit of free time is worth it." Maybe. I don't think that alone, but maybe the combination of that and a shifting political climate and the thought that uh, a new, you know, if a new political party were to emerge, I don't know. I, I, I think that the future is strange and unpredictable and there's well, a non-zero chance that Zuma... Well, he's already got a party. Like called the ATM. Yeah, exactly. And uh, <laughs> and they've done really good legal work, dude. I mean, I think that there are some really and, smart guys involved. In the and they've and they have footholds in little places all across the country. So who knows? Maybe they will be the yeah. key political players going forward, and then the whole deck will get reshuffled. Yeah, I mean, it's it's maybe a, it's not the most likely, but but it's a it's an interesting it's not, possibility. It's, yeah, it's not it's not with uh, you know it's not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah. So, so, so there's our case, and it's and it's a, uh, it's strange, and it's kind of. Like, well, I don't know. Sad. It, it makes, I'll, I'll just it say one last thing me. about it, which is that okay, that's good, exactly. I think it makes sense to most people. In 2017, there was this. Polling I'm trying my hardest Marcus. to have it not yeah. make sense to me because this really isn't, you know, I, 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 as you know, I don't really like the law too much sometimes. No, we, we, <laughs> often we just want to fire people into the sun. But I think that I think the I think something that um, also deserves to be said about it is that in 2017 there was this polling where people were asked, "Do you want Zuma to go to jail, or would you? What would you prefer the most? Like Zuma going to jail or Zuma testifying against others and being let out in exchange for testimony that incriminates lots and lots of people that are still corrupt? I mean, there's like thousands of officials that he must have hard know are corrupt." And by far the majority of people, like 80%, and like 80% of the ANC's base said they would rather let Zuma go if he will just give evidence that puts people that are still in power behind bars. 
so, you know, I think this is the common sense solution. I don't think most South Africans are that vindictive about Zuma. He's, it's easy to complain. Like you were saying, we can all get behind complaints about crime and complaints about uh, bureaucracy, load shedding, uh, things getting too expensive. We can all complain about Jacob Zuma and say, sissy ate the money and all that. But we all know that he didn't personally eat that much money and that the right. and that he's not personally he, in charge of all that much. You know, what really matters yeah, is the guys that are still He's probably broke money. again. Um, yeah, no, it, it, there, there is a, I think there is also a desire to just, it's kind of like, um, you know, someone going through a really messy divorce and they start off like really wanting to punish the other side. And then by the end, they're like, you know what? Let's just get this over with, sort it yeah. out so we can all just get on with our lives. And I think that's where a lot of the country is right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole thing of like in black culture, you don't treat your elderly people in a in a in a vindictive way, which is another line that uh Zuma's people have been putting out. I mean, it's really that's, weird. It's so tragic. It's also weird to say that that's a quote unquote black culture thing. It's like yeah, exactly. They used to at least talk about Zuma. <laughs> Like Zuma, his whole life was great because you were talking about Zulu culture, and it's different to you know. But uh, yeah, can you, can when you, when you can get you think of a culture where you're not nice to old, where you're not supposed to be at least a little bit nice to old people, uh, maybe uh, like some kind of obscure uh, anarchist commune where they think <laughs> where they kick you out after you're 35, you know. I mean, I don't think races have cultures. I think it's a really misconceived. But like, what race? <laughs> no, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, what, where, where, where in the world are you supposed to be mean to old people? The, no, I'm still drawing blanks. Yeah, no, there isn't one. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not a, th you know, beside, so and in other words, I think a lot of South Africans do feel like, how much harm so does he have left to do? Like, it, just, the, just let it, him go. It, just he must. Uh, the keys to his jail cell in a way, really are in his pocket. I, the, the, the reason yeah. I say that is because if he did testify, I think South Africans, I think there would be an outpouring of love and affection for him. I really do. I mean, there would be disdain and they'd be like, why are you only telling us now? And there'd be lots of people who say, hey, you're trying to come cry now and say you're sorry and it's too late. Dude, South Africa has a pattern of, especially at a grassroots level, exhibiting pragmatic forgiveness for genuine acts of, of of contrition which which are not just saying you're sorry but are actually changing the circumstances to prevent the repetition of the crime when apartheid ended there were lots of people in the 80s who said you know what if you ever let apartheid end most black people are going to be so furious they will never let it die they're going to there's going to be stabbing it's going to be organized right. vicious nastiness. Be an, an ocean of blood will just flow across the land that has that is not what happened most people, there's a minor criminal element and some of them get whipped up by race nationalist politicians. I'm not denying that. But the overwhelming majority of people were like, dude, we can't keep relitigating apartheid and how terrible it was. We know it is terrible. People have said they're sorry. They're trying to move on. They're trying to do real things to show that they want to move on. Let's try and move on together. That's what our polling shows consistently. That's what our experience shows consistently. I think that, I think, I think that the same kind of surprise could happen if Zuma... Um, asked for forgiveness and showed real contrition. Really, really. I think the Constitutional Court would be the first place to say, "Dude, okay, you've, uh, you've, you've. We thought that you would never come to your senses. We thought you were not just a baby, not just a drunkard. We thought you were a big drunk baby. 
Uh, and so we thought we, the only thing we can do is put you in jail for 15 months, and that might be the only sentence you ever serve, uh, but at least it'll show this ordinary South Africans that you can't mess around with the courts and refuse our orders. That's what we thought. But you have shown us another way. You have come forward and said you want to give evidence, you want to show, hey, you thought things were bad with Brian Malefe. They're worse than, you, worse than you expected. There's still those companies selling the ones selling solar panels, whatever it is, you know. Thank and and you have surprised us, and we will reward you with our with our with our grace, with our good grace, with our magnanimity, because you've been a good guy. So that's why my line is, dude. If Zuma goes back to jail, I believe sincerely he will have a very short walk to freedom. Two steps. <laughs> Step one: say you're sorry and testify. Step two: freedom. Yeah, it doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> How did South Africans would ululate if that guy put like 400 people behind bars? Every time mm, they went, nice. you know that thing when Tony Yengeni was put in prison and there was like a crowd ululating to celebrate Tony Yengeni. If Zuma starts putting people in prison with his testimony, I think by the fifth one, there's going to be a crowd outside in Kandla Ululating. There's going to be bare-breasted women dancing in circles, throwing beads into the air, celebrating Zuma for every time he's put someone else in jail. And I will be there with them. I would love to go and <laughs> celebrate. Like the, by the fourth thousandth person that he's put in jail, I will. I will start fundraising. That's just because you want to. you want to take a holiday to KZN. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, right, can, right. before we before we close up uh, there is a this, uh, that discussion earlier about you know culture and culture says this culture says that um it reminds me of of a of a sort of head slammingly annoying comment that someone made to my mom once she was having a conversation about the person the person was talking about a funeral they'd been to and the person said to my mom oh you know in our culture we get very sad at funerals <laughs> oh, <laughs> only in your culture. <laughs> you should see the Japanese. It's a it's a stand up comedy show. Yeah. <laughs> What's I mean, the deal is, with funerals? <laughs> it is true. After tears can go different ways, but at the funeral, no, true, 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 true. You know, and people can <laughs> there can be different levels of of expressions of sadness, different vocal yes. vocal ranges, yes. and but yes. everyone gets sad. Because, you know, it turns out that we are actually all from the same planet. <laughs> oy, oy. Dude, I mean, it reminds me, I think the worst thing that I read this week was some, I kind of want to look up his name. Maybe you all remember this guy who wrote a piece in News 24 arguing because of the latest tavern killing. That black people are killing black people in taverns uh, yes. because of white supremacy. Name. Yes, yes, yes. Because they they have they have dehumanized uh, black people so much in their own minds, they've sort of been victims of of mental colonization to the extent that the reason they're killing people is because they don't view black lives as meaning anything. Um, it's a theory. Uh, to empirically test, we probably no. His name is Novus Kameka. And I saw, like, he's, I don't know, he's like the sort of the head of the, of Azapo, which is what a tragedy. Azapo used to be so interesting. And, <laughs> yes. And like, 
oh man it's uh and and some other consulting thing where he makes money it is it, it's it's such a it's so clearly not solutions oriented that's what i find amazing about it if the thought is there's not enough black pride to stop black people from killing black people what we need where is the solution yeah because i mean i can see the solution if if what you're saying if like white police officers are killing black unarmed men in America at disproportionate rates, which according to Roland Fryer is not what's happening. Professor Roland Fryer of Harvard University, no. genius MacArthur award winner, etc. If if that was happening, I can see the solution to this racial analysis, right? I can see this racial analysis identifying a problem that can be solved. Uh, and the solution is those cops need to recalibrate their estimation of things they need to stop seeing black people as lesser than they need to start seeing people as just people and applying the law equally and then it's going to be better but in this context like what is this can anyone really believe that if there were more black like me adverts saying it's uh, black is beautiful that that those shabin killings would not have happened does anyone really think that's it's just well, strikes me as like what about someone probably <laughs> you know, does? Well, I mean this guy. This guy This guy apparently. I find it I've I find it uh, yeah. But anyway, we, we, we have talked before, yeah, an episode on on black pride and white shame and, and sort of the uselessness of uh, of of racial codes of conduct as an attempt to improve social behavior. You know, rather than appealing mm. to family identities, work identities, national identities, um, clubs and societies, religious identities, I feel like there's so many thickly textured groups that you can appeal to for camaraderie and a sense of honor, real honor codes. Like, we don't do this because... But those guys, I remember once when I was a kid, some guy said, don't pick your nose. White people don't do that. And I just, like, he was a he was an old white baboon. You know, there was a real baboon for you. Just a, just a, just a, <laughs> not a, like, not an oak who'd figured out much about the human condition. No. <laughs> his, his misanthropy, he did not like human beings. He was a grumpy old sot. And he mistook the fact that he didn't like anyone for the belief that he didn't like black people. And he mistook the thought that there's such a thing as right and wrong for the thought that there's like white ways of behaving and black ways of behaving. And I just found it, as a seven-year-old, I found it uh, nauseating to be told to behave properly like a white person. I just think it's a gross, it's such a gross idea. Whereas we both went to St. Stidians, the thought that you should tuck in your shirt because you're a saint's boy, uh, that made sense to me. I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no well, don't worry neither did i you know in, when i was in grade eight how many push-ups i had to do because my socks were down and in the end they just kind of gave up dude i remember <laughs> you I was a grade eight being that guy whose socks were not necessarily all the way up ever <laughs> <laughs> hey look man i got fat legs that's how it is anyway um should we move on to some recommendations before we close yes up? Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, well, so I recommend first... my first recommendation is you don't read. No, you should read the Kolani. G give a nice recommendation. Go ahead. 
Uh, so I'm going to recommend a musical group called um, Heilung. Uh, I think it's literally the German word for healing. And they are one of these kind of neo-folk, neo-pagan um, music groups. Basically what they do is they take... Uh, they try to give you a sort of feel of of ancient Germanic culture, but like with a modern twist, right? So they create sort of modern style music, but they incorporate words and, and they use instruments from the distant past. And they add some things from outside of the sort of cultural context. So it's not like a historically accurate recreation. Um, for example, they use, for example, traditional Indian uh, instruments in some of their music. But it gives you, I think, the emotional feeling of... Of, of these kind of long dead cultures from Northern Europe. Um, and they have great costumes. Uh, they have like sort of shaman outfits from, you know, the sort of dark ages uh, with like horns and antlers. And almost all of the words are in, uh, you know, ancient Germanic, old English, uh, old Norse, all these kind of dead languages. And occasionally they add in modern German, modern Scandinavian, modern English. Uh, but it's 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 just interesting, and also the music's quite nice. I like it. Um, it's often mm. quite relaxing. I mean, that's the band's name is literally Healing, uh, and the music videos are good too because, like I say, their performance, their costumes, it kind of makes you feel for a moment as though you're standing in a dark German forest around the fire while the the shaman chants, um, and I think that's pretty cool. Did you reminding me of? an account I read, I think in Umberto Echo, of Druids in uh, what we would now call England, uh, but in that little island, that large island. Britannia. Who, uh, in a particular sect, these uh, sort of uh, spiritual men, or um, yeah, maybe women too, I can't remember, but their, their rites of passage, you, you could sort of choose three ways if you got to the highest level. Of graduating and if you wanted to be um, uh, a sort of faith leader then you would be buried underground in a coffin uh, filled with water so that only your nose could stick out <laughs> so it's not quite full but it's really close and just your nose is above water and they put you there sort of nine o'clock at night well, they put you there after sunset and you've got to stay there until sunrise and you, there's a chance that you'll die of the cold or that you you're going to freak freak out and pass out and then breathe in the water and drown basically but your mission should you choose to accept it is to not only endure but to emerge with a song with a with a poem comes song. It's supposed to be, I don't know, like a hundred lines or something. And it's got a there's a particular structure of rhyme scheme and uh, meter and cadence that you're supposed to stick to. But there's no brief on what the topic should be or where you should begin or end. And that's just your time to compose. And I think <laughs> that you know, okay, the the in the bad old days uh, things were tough but i think uh, i i just suspect that there must have been some amazing music that came out of it and insofar as we still have those cultural continuations um right. of old english and norse and stuff yeah right and and, and 
I kind of feel like in this their their performance and everything, you can feel there's like a, you know, if you if you're at all familiar with any of the Germanic cultures, uh, English, German, Scandinavian, there's a sort of very faint echo where you can kind of see some things in the distant past still mm -hmm. hanging around. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's good. Uh, my recommendation, I'm a little bit uh, at a at a loss. I my you you make musically my favorite thing of the maybe i'll just say this because musically uh i've been remembering a road trip that i did through namibia when i was a teenager uh Ooh. with some with some buddies in high school in the jukes and uh uh one of them his name was adolf of all things uh very sweet guy who who now lives in the uk and plays uh he like blows on a leaf and somehow has figured out how to make a leaf turn into music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so yeah, now he's, he's real sweet, which anyway, he, he, um, I remember him giving me his Walkman, lending me his Walkman and it had variations on a theme by Sibelius, which I think maybe has a similar quality to what you were describing. Nick. You know, it's sort of Finnish music that was trying to be overtly sort of drawing on, a kind of sound that was from the folk, uh, from the forests, from the Ur yesteryear, mm. and instrumentalized that with an orchestra, which has uh, some polished features, but really can get quite raw and quite hard. And so, I just just as an as a darker <coughs> addendum to my recommendation. Um, because of that drawing out of this kind of ur folk, you know, uh, soul spirit stuff, uh, this band has to constantly, the one I mentioned, has to constantly put out band, close their comment sections, put out statements saying, guys, we're not neo-Nazis, go away, we don't want anything to do with you, <laughs> we're just yeah. making music that we like in yeah. an aesthetic that we like and this is yeah. not about reclaiming the soul of the white race or nothing oh, um, <laughs> yeah man yes there are some fools out there hey? okay well Sibelius and and these guys i think let's 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 twin them together and yeah tough listening um uh in a good spirit and certainly yeah certainly not that uh i think that i think that the forest i think that there's something about the forest hey forest music never mind of course who cares what color you are like if you're covered in mud and you and you're running through the forest uh we're all pretty much the same right and uh you know there's there's an origin for every culture basically uh in in running in forest or wilderness equivalent yes, um, yes. of 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 burning things and eating fungus and you know <laughs> that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. yeah all right um okay with that i uh, i bid you all a farewell um and uh yeah keep the flag of liberty flying <laughs>